Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. We're going to pick up with the 10th verse. This passage is going to be familiar to many of you. Let's give it our full attention as it's God's Word. Beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we have to know that today the evil one cannot be pleased that your word has again exposed him. Lord, will you teach us, though, that this battle that is being waged is not one that is far away, but it's close, it's here. We need to learn from your word, by your spirit, We are coming to you in faith for that, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It has been my experience that most serious believers, when asked, would tell you that they don't pray enough and they need to pray more. Now, I don't know that I've asked anyone in this room about that, but I've asked many over the years. And I've had person after person say, oh no, I, you know, I try to pray, 
but I need to pray more. Now, that goes from those who I, I, I know a few, I've encountered a few in my ministry that literally pray for hours a day. But even they say, I need to pray more. Now, here's the thing. That's not most of our problem, that we pray for hours a day and we know we need to pray more. Many more Christians struggle with this. I barely pray. It is hard for me to pray. Some days I get to the end of the day and I realize other than at meals maybe I haven't even prayed. Now we are in a series on the making of a disciple. And I hope that if you notice the title, you noticed that it's not just we need to pray, but the emphasis is struggling to pray more. Because that's really what it is. Let's face it. For most believers, it does not come naturally. And it is a struggle to increase our prayer life, both in quantity and quality. Now, why is that? Let me give you some things that people have told me and that some of these I've experienced as well in terms of things that we tend to struggle with with our prayer life. One is time. It's hard for many folks to find time, and part of the reason is because the the tendency is to say, you know, I need to sit down, I need to really focus if I'm going to pray, rather than praying as they go. But the problem with that being your view of prayer is that few people will take that time and turn off the TV and turn off everything else and really focus And so, it gets shoved aside. Another problem is laziness. Now, who wants to say that? And yet, what I'm talking about in this is that you have tried to pray, and you've found that prayer is hard work. And when you think about going back into prayer... You think, it's just so hard. I can't, I can't get myself to do it. I can't bring myself, force myself, discipline myself to pray. I just don't have the energy to follow through in a consistent way. Now, for some, when it comes to prayer, it comes down to genuine theological concerns. You know, if God knows all of our thoughts, if God is really sovereign, and He's in control of all things, why do we pray? If He knows our words before one of them is spoken, then why do we need to speak them? 
That's a good question, theologically. I don't want to oversimplify, but that's one area. I do want to give you just a, a, a brief treatment. The first thing you do in looking at questions is to ask yourself, well, is the, is the assumption of the question correct? That's what you sometimes need to attack right there. So if we're saying, well, if God is sovereign, if, he know, if he's in control of all things, if he knows every word before we speak it, well, those assumptions are correct. And so the question that comes <clears throat> behind that is a legitimate one. If those things are correct, then why do we pray? Can our requests change God's sovereign plan? Can our praying change His decree? Well, the answer to that is no. All of the prayers in the world are not going to change God's sovereign decree. When he declares that something is going to happen, it's going to happen. But when he sovereignly declares this is what will take place, he's not, over, not only decreeing the end, but the means of how this is going to come about. And what he has told us in his word is that one of the means that I bring about my will is prayer. And so we pray. We must pray out of obedience and pray because he has told us to. Now, some of you may say, well, I would pray more, but I've got these experiential concerns. I, I can't tell that my prayers are being answered. In fact, I prayed for, you fill in the blank, this and this and this and this and this, and I cannot remember prayers being answered. And so, you're discouraged with your prayer. That's a, a challenge, experientially. Now, if you're following along on the outline, you might notice I've just given you four, four reasons why maybe we don't pray more, and there's five stars there. That's because I know that everyone in this room has their own reason why they don't pray more. All of us have some kind of a challenge that keeps us from doing that which we know in our heart of hearts we ought to be doing. It would be best for us. It would improve my spiritual life. I would know God better if I prayed. And so you can fill that in yourself. So those are four or five things, but today I want us to spend some time on what I am convinced is the biggest 
reason why we don't pray more. The biggest problem, I am convinced, is understanding the urgency when it comes to prayer. Do you imagine President Obama and think of him becoming aware of a terrorist plot to attack our country? Now, there's several things that need to take place. He's got a task before him at that point. You see, most people in the country know that at at some point there is that danger. But the the farther we get uh, away from 9-11, the more we tend to relax. You remember those days right afterwards, we weren't relaxed. But the more we tend to relax, the more often we see the threat level go up and then go down again with no attacks and so on. But suppose he became aware of a threat. His task would be to talk to the people that he needed to to make sure that it was going to happen. It was a very real threat. And then he would come to we, the American people, and he would say this is a threat and it's an imminent threat. And his task would be to convince us that because of all of this information that he has gathered, the attack is imminent. I think my task is somewhat the same. But here's the difference. When it comes to President Obama, or any president, any leader, whether or not we believe them, would have to do with their credibility, with their sources, with whether or not we felt like they were being honest with us or there was some other motivation there. What I share with you today, I have the source of the God of the universe who has told us There is a threat, and it is here. It's not my credibility. It's whether or not you choose to believe what the God of the universe has said, and he has told us that life is war. It is war. In Ephesians 6, verse 11, I already read to you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. God, through the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has said, this is the nature of the battle that we are in. Later in 
1 Timothy 6, verse 12. He says again, he use words, uses words of war. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made uh, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. John Piper has uh, used a little phrase. He has said, we cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. And God has said that. Now, here's the thing. We have heard that so much that for some, it's almost like, well, we're crying wolf. Yeah, I don't know about that. I know that's what it says. And of course, okay, I'll believe God. But in your mind, somewhere in there, you're saying, if there's a spiritual battle, I've never seen it. Oh, really? Really? You've never seen it? A few years back when uh, Frank Peretti began writing his series with the book, This Present Darkness, he did an important thing. Now, I don't agree with some of his theology. And yet, what he did in that book was he gave a picture it's fiction, but he would say he thinks it's really what's going on. He gave a picture of the spiritual battle that is going on all around us. And he talked about the demons and the angels that are in, in battle all around us and then the effect that they had upon people and churches and families. And I have to say... I don't know if you ever read that book. I read it. And it was scary. The reason it was scary is not because Frank Peretti is a good writer. It was scary because I recognize that's the kind of thing that is said here. That whether or not he has the right picture in his novel, that's the kind of war that is being described here. Now, you may say, well, if I could see that, it would be easier for me to see that there's a war going on and there's an urgency. If I could see it. Suppose we go back 20 years 20 years ago this week. And you go down to Charleston and Mount Pleasant. And you're walking around down there. And then at some point you go inland and follow through South Carolina up through Charlotte. And as you take that little tour... You see trees down all over the place, stacked up. You see some 
100,000 people displaced. You see boats that are stacked up on top of each other. You see all kinds of uh, damage that has taken place. You see some roads with four feet of sand on the road. And you haven't read the paper or anything. You say, well, what happened here? And the person says, you kidding me? Did you hear about Hurricane Hugo? Came through here. Not only was it the worst hurricane that we can remember, but it had uh, tornadoes, some 3,000, they say, that was embedded in it that came out of it and caused all kinds of damage. Incredible damage. Now suppose you saw that and you heard that and you said, I don't believe that for a minute. I mean, it's clear today. It's sunny today. Don't be telling me about a hurricane. You see how foolish that sounds? Now, why is that such a foolish statement, a ridiculous response? Well, number one, because you know that hurricanes exist. And number two, because you know that they can cause that kind of destruction. And so just because you didn't see that hurricane doesn't mean that it didn't come through there. Well, it's similar with spiritual battle. It's just as ridiculous for us to be unconcerned or unbelieving because we say we've never seen a spiritual battle that God tells us about. It's ridiculous for two reasons. Number one, because God's Word says it exists. And number two, because we have seen its destruction in families, in churches, in marriages, in children, in youth, and on and on. Now to understand the urgency, we need to understand that life is war and then we need to know that the enemy is upon us. 1 Peter, verse, uh, chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. The enemy is upon us. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, I know that even that... You know, we don't have lions that prowl around. But what if the doors opened 
back there. Okay, you can bring them in now. No, no. Suppose the door's opened and a lion came in. You know, not the kind you see at the zoo where they're laying there like, you know, like, ah, you know. But the kind that's hungry. And he came walking, looking both directions down the middle aisle. Do you think people would make preparation? I suppose you would at least move off the middle aisle. You would be grabbing your children, your spouse. You would be getting away. That's why he uses this illustration. And he says that that is what the devil is doing. Your adversary, the devil, is doing that. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, he says, Paul says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn of your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, there's another thing about the enemy. That's important, but the next step is to know the enemy is upon us. It's like a soldier in training. You who have been soldiers. You know, you go through training, and they're they're telling you you gotta keep your rifle clean, you gotta take care of this, you gotta watch yourself, you gotta be alert at all times. But but you know in your mind, this is training. So unless I do something really stupid, like kill myself or stand up on the range or something like that, I'll be okay. Now, you know that. And so they have to have other incentives to get you to to really do those things. But then, for those of you that have been in war, you know. You get over there. And you know that the enemy is just over the ridge. They don't have to tell you to be alert. They don't have to tell you to be ready. Because you will. Because you understand that it's right there. God says that wherever we are, the enemy's nearby. And he has our harm in mind. So you've got to decide, are you going to believe God on this or not? And finally, we need to understand that prayer is our only hope for survival and victory. It's our only hope. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, here at the end of the passage about warfare um, in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the key. In the original language, in verse 18, it doesn't start a new sentence. It connects with verse 17 like this. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying through all prayer and supplication on every, 
occasion. In other words, you take the sword praying. So you've got the word and prayer as our protection. John Piper, again, likes to talk about how prayer is communication with headquarters by which the weapons of warfare are deployed according to the will of God. And he said this, too often we use prayer like we are on an intercom ordering more pillows for our sofa in the family room instead of walkie-talkies ordering fire on the enemy. It's a vivid picture, but that's true. Think about what we often pray about. Our comfort, someone's comfort. Instead of realizing there's something even bigger going on here. John White in his book, The Fight, says war is not something that illustrates aspects of Christian living. Christian living is war. Indeed, I'd go further. Earthly war is not the real war. It's but a faint, ugly reflection of the real thing. It's into the real war that the Christian is to plunge. Wars on earth are but tremors felt from an earthquake light years away. The Christian's war takes place at the epicenter of the earthquake. It's infinitely more deadly. While the issues that hang on it make earth's most momentous question no more than village gossip. He's saying that's the big thing going on. And we can't forget that. Too often we forget it, and I, and I have to think the evil one loves it when we forget it. When we think that somehow our own comfort is the main thing. Wars bring out the worst and best in people, but they never leave them the same. In wars, even what people talk about changes. We had a, just a small taste of that after 9-11. But before long, if you remember, before long, conversations started getting back to normal. And it wasn't all about what was going on. In war, newspapers tell how the troops are doing. Families talk about their sons and daughters on the line. Write them. Pray for them. In war, people spend money differently. Those things which were luxuries become less important. Luxury cruise ships become troop ships. The war effort touches everyone. And we are at war. And we understand that we will be changed as well. This October, I'm going with the team to Haiti. I'm going to be doing some teaching of pastors there. Some of our other folks are going to be working at uh, the orphanage and helping out Donnie in various ways. But right now, as was announced earlier, Louis and Donnie St. Germain are in the middle of spiritual warfare that is obvious. And I do have to say this that in other countries, I think a lot of times spiritual warfare is a lot more obvious than it is here. But that's our big danger, is that it feels like we're talking about something far away. 
what happened down in Haiti is that a priest found a little child, a priest that was against uh, the Christian things that are being done there, the gospel being spread among these children. He found a little child and he got the news media and he got the child to say that he was being mistreated and he wasn't being fed and he said he was from one of the orphanages that Donnie and Lewis worked with from El Shaddai Ministries. Well, you can imagine the community was in an uproar over this. They were angry over this. Well, Lewis and Donnie immediately looked into it. They found out the child wasn't even in any of our orphanages, that this priest who was the enemy was just setting it up. And so Lewis went on the radio, got it corrected and so on, and and the community understood and they calmed down. But then the government came in and they began to investigate and, and they found out Uh, how vast the ministry was. And so now they are asking for unreasonable, possibly undoable things. And Lewis and Donnie just believe that it's to extort money from them. But it's not about a corrupt government. This is spiritual warfare. I'm convinced we're dealing with two things there. We live in a fallen world. That's where the corruption comes from. But secondly, it is absolute, all-out spiritual warfare. Now, that's a discouragement to Donnie and Lewis. So they are so glad that our team is coming. Not that we can do something for them. They know and they profess that only God can deal with this. And that's what we believe too. It's not, we don't think we're taking them the answers. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Pray for the situation in Haiti. I had this sermon planned long before this took place. But pray for that situation. It is war. If you can come tonight at 727... Come and join our youth and others. Our youth has led the way. They've been meeting every week over the summer and continue now for cutting-edge prayer. They're showing us that they might understand better than we about spiritual warfare. Every time you pray for Haiti, be reminded that the evil one has declared war right here in Colombia. Don't ever think that it's about some warfare over there. He is just as active. John Stott said the contemporary church seems to have little understanding of the greatness of Jesus Christ as Lord of creation and Lord of the church before whom our place is on our faces in the dust. Nor do we seem to see His victory as the New Testament portrays it, with all things under His feet. 
So if we are joined to Christ, all things are under our feet as well. That's what we've got to remember. I don't want you to walk away from here being discouraged because the battle is here. Be encouraged that the battle was won on the cross. And he has given us the ultimate weapon to call him in prayer. So take courage. He has overcome the world. Let's bow together.